Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place is known no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Psalm 103. Just hearing Ryan read that caused my my heart to just be thankful. As he read all the benefits that God has done for us. I want to get right to it because we have a lot to cover and I'm check the time. I, I want to have you out of here by four. So, all right, you're with me. Okay, you're not sleeping. You're alert. Very good. Um, but there is a lot to cover, so I want to, I want to get right to it. Um, Psalm 103. We know according to John chapter 4, woman uh, at the well or Jesus uh, met with her said that God is seeking people to worship him. He's seeking worshipers. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So our inner being, our soul, is where it starts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So if our soul is not right with God, it's going to be very difficult to worship him with our mouth. It's kind of like worshiping in vain. If the heart and tongue are not connected, something's wrong. So that's why, you know, before Sunday, when we come to worship, you want to pray. You want to prepare your heart. You want to prepare your soul. You want to confess your sins. You want to come in here so that you can give worship to the one who it's deserved. David was called by God a man after God's heart. And David was a worshiper. He was a worshiper. 
He knew who God was. He knew who he was. And he worshiped. He worshiped God with awe and reverence and gratitude. Now, Psalm 103 is a psalm of pure worship. That's what this is. Psalm 103 is not uh, any, he doesn't make any petitions for help. He doesn't make any cries for deliverance. All David does in this psalm is just focus on the Lord. It's like David is saying, bless you, bless you, bless you. And then he gives reason after reason after reason after reasons why his soul should bless the Lord. A couple quick things on Psalm 103. It was written a thousand years before the cross. It's written a thousand years before the cross. And it took the cross to make all these blessings stand and stand today. This psalm points to Christ. It points to Jesus. It exalts Jesus. It lifts Jesus up. And that's my my main goal in this message is to take Christ and exalt him for what he's done. But like David, all of us time from time need to stir ourselves up, don't we? We need to stir ourselves up. We, we can grow cold. We can grow dull. We can grow numb to the things of God, can't we? Absolutely. So after two verses of stirring himself up, he gives us 17 reasons, 17 why we should bless the Lord. I want to cover all of them, but if, if time permits, but if not, then we'll just leave that to the Holy Spirit and he'll get over to us what he wants to get over to us, okay? So, beginning in verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He begins by stirring up his inmost self to magnify the Lord because he knows that if he doesn't, dullness will take over and it's about to. This word bless means to kneel. It means to kneel with the idea of adoration and praise. It means to get on your knees and adore Christ and praise him from your soul and from your mouth and exalt him for really how good he is. Do you talk to yourself at all? How about when you're in a a place of fear? and you become real fearful, and you become real scared, do you talk to yourself, and do you tell your soul, soul, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, soul. Or when you're dull to the things of God, do you talk to yourself about stirring yourself up and telling your soul to praise the Lord? Why are you so downcast? Paul Tripp said, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. Hopefully you talk to yourself. I think of the words that Jesus said, quoting, I think it's Isaiah 29, I believe. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What a horrible thing. They praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and I don't receive their worship. It's just lip service. Maybe David feared those words, so he was stirring himself up. Come on, Lord. Come on, soul. Where are you? Wake up. 
Why are you silent? Why are you not happy? Why are you not joyful to go to the house of the Lord? Come on, wake up. Line up with my mouth and praise the Lord. You know, we come in here so many weeks and we're like that. And you know it. You might stand and sing songs. It might come out of your mouth and your voice might sing, but your heart is dead. Your heart's nowhere near worshiping God. This is what David's doing. He's stirring himself up. The word bless again is just more than praise. It is to praise with affection and gratitude. To bless the Lord means to delight his heart by expressing love and gratitude for all that he is and all that he's done. And I'm sure every one of us in here have experienced the goodness of God. Are you breathing? And you have experienced the goodness of God. That should cause your soul to praise him and thank him. There are a number of Hebrew and Greek words in the Bible rendered praise, by the way. And in each testament, praise is our response to God's revelation of himself. To bless his name means to praise God for who he is and all his attributes, which are many. Praise is our expression of delight in God himself. It's our expression of the love we feel as we consider how great thou art. Even if you don't do another thing for me. Not just praising him for his attributes, but praising him for who he is. And then he lists reason after reason in case you're a little dull. May these words pierce your heart. May these words make your soul come alive and continue to be a worshiper. Before we can praise God for his blessings, we must thank him for his being. I'm going to read to you real quick over in Psalms 113. You can keep your place in Psalms 103. We'll come back there. But listen to verse 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God and who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? So there's just a glimpse of praising God for his being. And you just think about this. Who looks down from the heavens? Who's created the whole planet but him? So our soul praises him for that. Praise, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. My whole nature, my intellect, my emotions, my feelings, my sentiment, my brain, my heart, my lungs, my tongue, my feet, my whole being. David's just not telling his soul or his mouth to praise him. He's saying, everything that is within me, bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise is heart work, right? It doesn't rise from our lips. Praise starts in the soul, and it comes out through our mouth. That's why we need to make sure that our soul 
is right with God. Otherwise, we're going to come in here and worship him in vain. And then he repeats himself in verse 2. Repetition in the scriptures is almost always for the sake of emphasis. So he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Let me ask you a quick question. Have you forgotten all that God's done for you? Do you wake up out of your bed every morning and just go on into your day and don't even realize that you see? That you've eaten? That you're breathing? We just take it for granted, don't we? Don't forget none of his benefits. Now, David didn't forget his benefits. David's David's just using these to remind himself to stir his soul up to bless the Lord. But as humans, we're very forgetful, aren't we? We just forget. We rush into our day, and we forget that God's blessed us. We're alive. He's given us so many things to enjoy, as we'll see. And yet we just go into our day and not even hesitate or not even to stop to thank him for his great benefits that he's shown us just today. We have a long memory when it comes to our hurts, don't we? Matter of fact, we can probably remember 30, 40 years ago of things that have happened to us, people who have hurt us. We remember those good. We remember our sorrows. We remember our burdens. But we have a really short memory when it comes to recalling the things of God. Now, when David here in verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget... Not all his benefits. That word forget, it, it, it means far more than just failing to remember things that God has done for us. Okay? It actually means here, the word forget has to do with turning your back on God and following other gods. And when I think about that, I immediately go to Deuteronomy 6. So let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 6. And listen to what God says to the Israelites. Beginning in verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat... And are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. So when the Lord takes you out of Egypt and puts you in a good place and gives you things that you don't have, just remember, don't forget him. And don't forget all of his benefits. He's the one that's given you the ability to get riches, to enjoy those things. And if he wanted to, he could take it from you just like that. Be very, very careful of being prideful, thinking, oh, look what I have done. (laughs) You can do nothing apart from his sovereignty and grace. And if he were to remove that from you, you would be dead. Just a little help for us there this morning. So in order to stir up our soul to bless the Lord, we're going to recall 
his benefits that he has done for us, okay? So let's begin in verse 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity. Who forgives all of your iniquity. We can just go home right now after just hearing that. Did you, did you hear that? Come on, soul. Come on, soul. Wake up. Wake up. Don't, don't forget this. Don't, don't miss this benefit. Spurgeon said, until iniquity is forgiven, healing, redemption, and satisfaction are unknown blessings, which we're going to cover next. He starts with man's most important need, which is forgiving your sins. Like we read in Romans 7, and we continue to this day, God forgives them. Not some of them, not just the minor ones, not just the little ones, but all of them. Psalms 130, verse 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? You ever answered that question? Lord, if you were to mark iniquity, who would be able to stand in front of you? Who? No one. No one could. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And David knows this firsthand, doesn't he? Murderer, adulterer, liar, a man after God's own heart. He knows this firsthand. Psalms 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Watch this now, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Merciful, isn't he? Merciful. Forgive, by the way, is in the present tense. It's continual. He continues to forgive day in and day out. We sin, we confess, we repent, and God forgives us. We sin, we confess, God forgives us. Seventy times seven. Unlimited. My question is, how can he do that? How can you just forgive all my iniquity? How can you just not remember them anymore? You just throw them away? I mean, what what do you do? You just like forget not to think of them or just dust them under the rug? What, What do you do? Isaiah 53, 6 gives us the answer. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now watch this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what he's done. So David, when you committed adultery with Bathsheba, and when you murdered her husband, and you lie, a thousand years from now, your sin is going to be placed on Christ. 
It's going to be placed on the innocent one. And he's going to bore your sin. That's how he forgives our sins every day. He just doesn't not remember them. He, he takes them and he puts them on his son. And his son bears them. So when the accuser of the brethren comes to you and starts talking about your sin, remember 1 John 2.1. It's a very good verse to remember. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. This one who pleads another's cause before a judge, by the way. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's as if when the accuser comes up to the judge and pounds the table and said he's guilty, it's as if Christ stands up and stretches out his nail-pierced hands and says, innocent. No more. I bore them. Come on, soul. How can you be dull to that? He forgives all your iniquities. Number two, who heals all your diseases. Going back to Psalms 32.3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I want you to listen to a quote from Archibald Simpson. He says, and I quote, God sports not at the sins of his elect, but hourly doth deal with them more hardly and chastise them more rigorously than he does the retrobate. David's troubles and pains were partly external, partly internal. External, I call those that were cast on his body, internal upon his conscience. And in the body were torments and vexations, seizing sometimes on his flesh, which was less painful. Sometimes his bones, which was more grievous, yea, almost intolerable, as experience teaches. And this is God's just recompense. When we bestow our strength on sin, God abates it. And so weakens us. Samson spent his strength on Delilah, but to what weakness was he brought? Let us therefore learn that God hath given us bones and the strength, therefore, for another use, that is to serve him and not to waste or be prodigal on them in the devil's service. End quote. So when the, when the cause is gone, which is sin, the effects are gone, which is disease. When sin is killed, disease is gone. And we know that sickness of body and soul came into the world by what? By sin, right? So as disease, bodily and spiritually, that's the effect of sin. Now in the context here of what David's talking about, I do believe it's, it's the, the disease spiritually of the soul. But in the context, it does refer to every aspect of healing, spiritual, emotional, and physical. There are no promises, by the way, let's just make this clear. There are no promises of instant deliverance of all your problems in the Bible, right? We know that. There's no instant deliverance of that. The Bible does not say that God's going to heal every single one of your physical diseases. There are no promises like that. Sin takes a toll on us spiritually and physically. And when God cleanses our sin, there is often an accompany of healing that comes with it. He heals all your diseases. And because of that, bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. (laughs) Thank God. The pit means the grave. 
It means the grave. Do you know what the wages of sin is? Death. That's what we deserve. Death. Every soul that enters the world is a slave to sin. Every one of us was on a road to hell. Don't miss this. We were on the road to hell. And yet David says here that one of his benefits is that he redeems your life from hell. He paid the price. He redeemed us so that we could be released from sin's power and its penalty, which was death. Hebrews 9.12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Job 33, verse 27 and 28, he sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right. Watch this now. And it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit. Psalms 40, verse 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock and making my steps secure. All done for you. And we deserved none of that. But yet he so graciously gives us and does that for us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget none of his benefits. We can't forget this. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. It's like he covers you with it. It never leaves. It's always with you. You'll never go anywhere or have to go through anything that God will not, that God will not surround you with love and mercy. You will always have that. Isn't that amazing? Wherever you go, to the far ends of the earth, you're crowned with love, steadfast love, and mercy. Unbelievable. Remarkable. I mean, you you can't just go, yeah, I know that. No. Think about that. He redeemed you from the pit, took you out of the miry muck, which you were heading in, and he crowns you. He puts a crown on you. And it's his steadfast love and his mercy forever. Oh, and by the way, just in case you forgot Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23, hopefully you haven't. I think I have it up. There we go. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Just think about that. It never ends. It never ceases. No matter what type of day I had yesterday, I can wake up and thank God because it's been erased and it's fresh mercies coming upon me. And those mercies give me strength to tackle whatever today brings. And then tomorrow, if the Lord wills that I wake up, there's fresh mercies again. It doesn't stop. That's cause for your soul to bless the Lord. Amen?
verse 5, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God satisfies the soul of man and he also satisfies the mouth of man, don't he? God gives us good things to enjoy. He gives us things to enjoy. Don't you love food? Don't you love family? Don't you love your children? Don't you enjoy things? Just go, going for a walk. Coolness of day. Mountains. Don't you just enjoy that? God gives us those things to enjoy. He bestows really good things on us, and he continues to do that today. And like I said, if God were to stop doing that and, and, and stop giving us good things, it would take all eternity, all eternity for us to thank him for what he's already given us. We're blessed. We have no right to complain at all. We have every right when we think about complaining to just go, <laughs> no, how can I complain Proverbs 8, 17 through 21. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasures. He gives us good things to enjoy. Psalm 40, verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. Watch this now. Yet they are more than I than can be told. You have blessed me so much that I can't even tell people. I don't even have words to describe just how good you've been to me. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Not the band, by the way. No, that, was, that was just a little joke. Okay. Making sure you're with me. Eagles are a picture of strength. Soaring effortly in the sky and even in their old age. Matter of fact, some eagles have been known to live 50 years. It's a long time. Isaiah 40 verse 31, you know it. Very well. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God gives us strength. He gives us inward strength throughout our life. Some of us can use that, huh? Isaiah 65.20 says that a man of 100 years of age shall be like a child. Youth renewed like eagles. I, I, looked at, I looked it up a little bit, and I just uh, wrote this down. The eagle is long-lived, and as naturalists say, that when she is nearly 100 years old, cast all her feathers, as indeed she changes them in the great measure every year at molting time, and fresh ones come, so that she becomes young again. And when God, by the graces and comforts of his spirit, recovers his peoples from the decay and redeems your life from the pit, he fills them with new life and joy. Are you joyful this morning? Are, are, are you truly joyful? Or are you just thinking about what happened yesterday and, and poor, poor me? 
And look at the bum thing that I just got, you know. We should be, of all the joyful people in all the world, we've been redeemed from the pit, and he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies us with good things and renews our youth like the eagles. Job 33, 25. Let his flesh become fresh with youth and let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. What does the Lord satisfy us with? He satisfies us with good things. Not rich things. Not many things. Not everything I ask for. But he satisfies us with good things. All my need fully supplied, and all that is good, the Lord has blessed me with. And because of that, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now David takes his eyes off himself, and he magnifies God for how he deals with other people. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. God is not only good to his own people, he's good to everyone who's oppressed. I think of Zechariah. Let's turn here real quick. Chapter 7, uh, verses 8 through 14. Listen to this. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turn a stubborn shoulder and stop their ears that they might not hear. So God says, don't do this, and they just refused to hear God. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law of the words of the Lord of hosts and sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came upon the Lord of hosts, As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts, and I will scatter them with the whirlwind among the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. All because he said, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, and the poor. And they refused to listen to God, and they did it instead, and God says, okay, here you go. And nailed him. He works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He's for the underdog. I think of Jonah. Listen to this. Jonah chapter 4. God sent Jonah to the Ninevites, right? And Jonah says, I hate those people. And I'm fleeing. I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to go in the opposite direction. Of course, we know what God did. He put him in a whale. Listen to Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And he knew. 
He knew God was going to have compassion on them and forgive them. And Jonah didn't like it because he didn't like them. But the Lord is for those who are oppressed. He's for the weak. And if God is for them, we should be for them. Amen? Psalm 9.9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of trouble. He's always for the helpless. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Verse 7 says in Psalm 103 that he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. David goes back to when God made himself first known to man, and that was to Moses, right? Exodus 33, which we'll be covering with Pastor John here in the the coming weeks. But let me read to you Exodus 33, verses 12 and 13, how God revealed himself to Moses. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. You have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight and consider, too, that this nation is your people. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, okay, you want to know who I am? The very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. And here it is, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. He made way his, his, his name and his way to Moses. And David goes back to us. And he says he made his acts known to his people. And they saw it firsthand when they were delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And they were going through the wilderness. And all of a sudden, they're standing before the sea. And all of a sudden, they see the sea parted. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what was going through their minds when they see this happening? It's like it just opened up for them. God showed his acts to the people of Israel. And what's amazing too is that God would make known his ways to us. Isn't that amazing? He's made way himself to us through his word. We can know God. Sinful man that God would choose to reveal himself is beyond my understanding. But yet he does. And you can know who he is. By the word of God. Read your Bible. Find out who God is, how God is. And now in verses 8 through 13, he begins to reveal who he made known to Moses and his acts to Israel. He begins to show us really who God is. Verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's quoting Exodus, uh, Exodus 34, 6 there, when God made himself known to Moses. Moses asked God to make his ways known to him, and God does that. 
He said that the Lord passed before him and he proclaimed in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love in faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquities and transgressions of sin. Verse 8 in Psalm 103 says that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is who God is. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. But in Exodus 34, 6, God didn't stop there. He said this, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Just want to make sure I'm a a God who's merciful and gracious and slow to anger, but who in no way will ever clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We also see this in Psalm 103, 11 and 13. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. This is not to everybody. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Just read the Old Testament of how Israel nonstop disobeyed the Lord. Nonstop just did what they wanted to do. They just had a thick skull and just would not listen. And when they came to their senses and God gave them repentance, they repented and God forgave them. He was slow to anger in the midst of that. Just like us. When we're in the midst of sin, when we're disobeying, aren't you thankful that God just doesn't go, bam, you're dead. I'm not going to tolerate that. But to his people, he's gracious and merciful and he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse nine, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. The word chide actually means to strive or to quarrel. God will not always do that with us. You know, I remember spanking my children when they were young. They did something, they disobeyed, and I spanked them. They cried. That hurt. But after I did that, they were shown love. They were brought in close, and I've told them, I don't like to do that, but you must learn not to do this. Children, when you get a spanking, your parents don't hate you. They're not doing it because they love to do it. They're doing it because they're commanded, because they love you. God's the same way. When God spanks us, he draws us close to himself and shares that he loves us. He does not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm still mad at you. Go away, I'm still mad at you. How about Isaiah 54, 7 and 8? For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Isaiah fifty-seven sixteen, 
for I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. Amen. I'm glad that the Lord does not stay angry forever. He disciplines us for his purposes, but then he lets us know, I love you. And I'm a God of compassion. And I will not always chide with you. This next verse blows me away. This next verse I could, I could spend probably a couple weeks on. Verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Let me read that again. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Listen to this quote. Why is it that God hath not dealt with us after our sins? It is not because he has dealt with another after our sins, another who took our sins upon him, of whom it is says that God chastened him with the fierce wrath. And why did he chasten him? But for our sins. O gracious God, thou art too just to take revenge twice for the same faults. And therefore, having turned thy fierce wrath upon him, Jesus, thou will not turn it upon us too. But having rewarded him according to our iniquities, thou will now regard or reward us according to his merits. He does not deal with us according to our iniquities, nor repay us according to that, because he's already done that to Christ, and he won't do it twice. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. His wrath came upon Christ for my iniquity. And he doesn't deal with me according to that. He deals with me according to Christ's merit, forgiveness, mercy, love, unending. If God gave us the punishment we deserve, do you want to just think about that for a second? If you truly dealt with me according to my iniquities, what's the outcome? You can read Isaiah 53 on that, right? It's not a pretty scene. It's not a pretty scene. The wrath of God comes upon sin. And it kills it. And yet here we are today, breathing and enjoying the fine things because he does not deal with us according to our iniquities. He dealt with Christ according to that. He deals with us according to his merits. Bless the Lord, O my soul that he's a God of patience, that he's a God of mercy. And if he wasn't, we would be in hell a long time ago. Verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great his steadfast love towards those who fear him. This is immeasurable. I read of a scientist from Texas A&M. He said that we have just discovered a new galaxy that is beyond anything we've ever known. It is way out there, like 50 billion light years away. So I started to follow this scientist's formula of how he broke it down into how far that is. And about the second line, I got dizzy. I thought I'd call my son, who's like a major in math, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he couldn't calculate that. 50 billion light years away. For, and that's not as high as the heavens, by the way. So all that to say, it's immeasurable. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
So great is his steadfast love to those of us who fear him. His love is huge. And I can't even begin to tell you how far that is. But it's really, really big to those who fear him. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If you just continue to go east, you will always be going east. It will never come together. He's taken our sins and removed them so far that they will never be brought up again. Do you know that if you are in Christ, when you stand before him, your sin will not be brought up? Isn't that amazing? Thank God for Christ. Listen to Spurgeon on this verse. Oh, glorious verse. No word, even upon the inspired page, can excel it. Sin is removed from us by a miracle of love. What a load to move, and yet it is removed so far that the distance is incalculable. Fly as far as the wing of imagination can bear you, and if you journey through space eastward, you are further from the west at every beat of your wing. If scent be removed so far, then we may be sure that the scent, the trace, and the very memory of it must be entirely gone. If... (laughs) If this be the distance of its removal, there is no shade of fear of its ever being brought back again. Even Satan himself could not achieve such a task. Our sins are gone. Jesus has borne them away far as the place of sunrise is removed from yonder west where the sun sinks when his day's journey is done. So far were our sins carried by our scapegoat 19 centuries ago. And now if they be sought for, they shall not be found. Yea, they shall not be, saith the Lord. Come, my soul, awaken thyself thoroughly and glorify the Lord for this richest of blessings. Hallelujah. The Lord alone could remove sin at all, and he has done it in a godlike fashion, making a final sweep of all of our transgressions. End quote and amen. They're far. The sin you confess this morning is far. It will never come back around because God is rich in steadfast love and in mercies. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. When the judge is your father and when Jesus died for your sins, there is full and free forgiveness available to all who ask. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get through it. It's just too much here. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is the reason why God graciously forgives and pardons us because he's a father. He's a father. And it's not saying here that God's like earthly fathers. It's saying that there's nothing to describe love as much as a father loves his children. I love my kids, and I know you fathers here love your kids, and we're sinful. Can you imagine how our heavenly father loves us perfectly? He has compassion on us, and the reason he has compassion on us is verse 14, for he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are just dust, and we don't have it all together, and we're short-lived, and we're going to return to the dust soon. 
and he compares verses 14 through 16, our, our weaknesses and our temporariness compared to his eternal being in verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and to his right and his righteousness to children's children. That means if my children put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when I'm dead and gone, his faithfulness continues to them. And when their children put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're gone, his faithfulness extends to his children's children. And it just keeps going and going and going and doesn't stop. Long after we're gone. Long after we're in the dust. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. So in verse 20, skip down. David's just not content to have his own soul. He calls out for the angels of heaven. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Not just me, but everything. God is just so awesome. Every being and everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Come on, angels. Don't stop. Don't stop flying around and crying, holy, holy, holy. Don't stop. Praise him with me. All you hosts in heaven that do his work and obey his word, bless the Lord. Let's let's all do it together. And then he ends in verse 22 by saying, bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. All his works. You, me, everything that has breath. Let us join with the angels in heaven who don't stop doing it. They don't don't stop from eternity past to present. They continue, they continually worship the Lord because he's good and his mercy endures forever. And then he ends by saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. So I pray that these benefits here stirred you to be a worshiper because he truly deserves it. If it weren't for the mercies of the Lord, you know where we'd be. And yet we are here. Not just today, but tomorrow and Tuesday and forever. Don't let our soul, don't let your soul grow numb and dull to the things of God. Go back over these verses. Find other passages in the scripture to where you can go to to stir yourself up. And don't come in here dead. Don't come in here and just sing songs and you're thinking about the game or whatever, whatever's going on. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name.